Sorry, I don't, re- I don't remember the re- reference, but uh, there's a person, Peter, about giving a sound argument. Where is that? Come on, Lars, help me out. <laughs> I'm searching. <laughs> oh, uh, First Peter 3.15. That's what I was thinking, too. I'm yep, so yep. glad this could be edited out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, wrong book. Okay. <laughs> be ready. Now watch Michael just not edit this out, just to make us all look Oh, bad. no. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Patterns of Truth podcast, the place for casual discussion of biblical principles and difficult questions that face the Christian believer. We believe that the Bible can speak to today's issues, giving us the wisdom and the courage we need for our lives. We are so glad that you are joining us, and you can always find us at patternsoftruth.org. Here we go. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining the Patterns of Truth podcast. I'm Patricia, your host for today, and I'm with the podcast crew, Roy, Krista, and Lars. And we are continuing our discussion about being a Christian, our faith, and arguments. Last time on the podcast, we talked about whether Christians should or should not be arguing for their faith and where that discomfort with disagreeing, even with each other as Christians or with non-Christians, where that feeling comes from. We talked about how to argue well as a Christian without purposefully offending someone else and also displeasing God. Now we want to have a conversation about using logic to argue well. Official term, I guess, is called argumentation, but this podcast episode is less about our behaviors during an argument, even though that's important to God, but more about the way we do it and the content of our argument. As I said before, today we're joined by Roy, Krista, and Lars, and we're just going to jump right into the topic. There's a pretty popular accusation, and you probably heard it before, that uh, Christians are incapable of making strong or sound arguments because blind faith, so-called blind faith, can't be supported by logic or evidence. Basically, I've heard that since God is invisible, so is your argument. So I want to ask all of you, and we could just, we could start probably with Roy, and then we'll go to Lars and then Krista. How have each of you personally dealt with the question that the Christian faith can't be supported by logic or evidence? How have you dealt with that? Um, For me, I have not had uh, many arguments or discussions that I can think of with other people, uh, that is unbelievers, but I have thought about it a great deal myself. And so I have had to think through a lot of the verses and arguments that people have given me Hmm. to try and uh, understand the role of uh, reasoning and arguments within the Christian context. And of course, with this, we need to remember that we don't convince people to believe in the Lord Jesus generally by giving them even a sound argument. Uh, That is a, a uh, a heart condition that needs to change. And as an example, I can refer to someone else who I know as a microbiologist, a PhD, done research work and has published. And uh, he describes his journey to faith by recognizing when he was in graduate school that the things he was studying were designed. He he couldn't understand how the uh, various things that he was studying could just simply come into being through an evolutionary process. And uh, luckily, he had a a friend who was a believer and said, well, you need to read the Bible. And 
I think it's very interesting that it was when he got to the Beatitudes in reading his Bible and recognized that this is this is moral standard that I have never seen before, and I don't think I could achieve this. And mm-hmm. so in that from that search and that conviction, he finally mm-hmm. came to faith. And now he's an active evangelist on campuses and uh, research institutes telling people about his faith and how science investigation at least prompted him to investigate to find his uh, a deeper faith or real mm-hmm. faith. That's a really good example. Lars, hey, how are you? Hey, good. How are you? I'm good. All right. What about you? How have you personally dealt with that question that the Christian faith can't be supported by logic or evidence? Yeah, it's um, it's a question I've been challenged with quite a bit, especially in high school and then college. Mm-hmm. And what actually helped me work through that was not running away from it. Um <laughs> A couple times I really struggled with my faith as a result of being challenged, Uh, Mm. you know, different things that I was exposed to that basically made me question the foundation Mm. of the Bible or the resurrection or all these different things. Mm -hmm. And what really helped me was digging into these questions and asking God, is there an answer? And I'm just reminded right now of Mm. when Jesus says, seek and you will find you know, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And so the Lord is really encouraging us to be intentional in seeking him. And mm-hmm. that's even with people throwing arguments at us that we don't feel we have an answer for. And one thing that has really helped me in scripture to have an answer is in Romans chapter one, where it says that what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So there is a basis that we all as human beings share of what God has created and revealed to us about his existence through the existence of logic, the existence of mathematics, mm-hmm. the existence of the laws of physics, and the fact that gravity always holds us down. It doesn't suddenly switch on us. And it really comes down to what some people have called is a transcendental argument for God, which is a, an argument basically saying that we can prove God's existence by saying we cannot even be talking about logic without assuming mm. logic. And logic was created by God. There's no other way to explain logic. You got me with the transcendentalism. I do know that field <laughs> of literature. So I, you got me there. You got me there. All right. <laughs> hey, Krista, how are you? Hey, good. How are you doing? Good. All right. What about you? Well, I've been thinking and listening to you guys, and I honestly can't say that I've really had this challenge put to me in that way. I do know that experiences that I've had in conversation with people as far as like, how do I know he's even real Mm -hmm. is I have learned that I base it off of the experience that I've had with him in my life and the changes that I have seen in my own growth and my relationship with him that I cannot give attribute or credit to anybody else. Hmm. And so, um, you know, there's been many times when I've learned to say, you know, I'm going to have to get back to you (laughs) (laughs) with that one, you know, because I've wanted to make sure that I'm answering in a way that is true and trustworthy. Yeah. No, that's really good. Cause I think sometimes like in personal conversations, maybe people don't say it as formally as this, but it may be an assumption that people 
come with, well, like, oh, you're a Christian, so you believe in fairy tales, like, or you're deluded, right? Like, oh, well, there was a tragic fire that just happened. What do you think about that? And it's just like, wait, you can tell that there is an assumption that we have an illogical faith that's embedded in those questions. And sometimes it really is hard to grapple with that. So my second question to the group is, does God even care if our arguments about him, when we speak to others, if they are logical? Do we have to have a logical argument when we talk about him at all to others? Well, if we're interested in truth, and I believe that logic is really an element of uh, truth, we have to realize one of the characteristics of truth is that it's coherent. And that is another way of saying that it fits together or that it's logical. Mm-hmm. Now, logic has a lot of different nuances and meanings, and we can go in off in a lot of different directions. But it's good if we uh, keep a central uh, focus that Lars brought up, that mm-hmm. God has spoken to us through the coherence the sensibleness, we might say, of the world around us. Hmm. That is even magnified vastly when we start to look at Scripture. Scripture is uh, phenomenally coherent. People talk about the red thread that goes through Scripture or any Mm -hmm. number of consistencies. So I think uh, we make a mistake if we put logic in its own box. It is really Hmm. part of our human experience. Yeah, that's a really good point. Cause I think you're right. People do put faith and logic, right? Like say that they are opposed to one another. And that does seem to be the way a lot of people discuss the issue. So, mm-hmm. so then if, okay, if God wants us to use wisdom and reasoning and he's spoken to us in that way, do we as Christians need to search for that logic in his commandments? Like, do I have to go to like thou shalt not steal and say like, okay, like how has God laid this out in a logical way? Do I have to like analyze it that deeply in order to have strong faith in him? Lars, what, what do you think? It's a good question. The truth in scripture is intended for us to study and to dig into deeply. And as Roy said, truth is coherent. And mm-hmm. so you're going to find if you, if you dig into something, you're going to find that it is logically consistent, if it's true. Actually, this is probably a good point to mention that one of the best things that I've ever heard that has helped me so much in a lot of arguments and discussions is that the phrase inconsistency is the sign of a failed argument. Hmm. Okay, so a failed argument is one that is not logical in that Hmm. some of the logic doesn't connect or it's based on incorrect evidence or premises. So Mm. a failed argument is one that you don't want to buy into. Well, how can you detect a failed argument? Ultimately, you figure it out because something's inconsistent. By looking at scripture, we can see, is it consistent? And if it is consistent, then it's true. Uh, We might be tempted to put certain truths in a special box. For example, let's uh, let's ask the question, uh, Christ's death on the cross, would that be considered logical to the human mind? Well, you've got several things going on there. One is the human mind. And we might think of what Paul says to the Corinthians about human wisdom. Now, wisdom mm-hmm. and logic are not the same thing, and we'll have to talk about that perhaps in a bit. But the human mind wants to it's an estranged from God because of the fall. And so it wants to do its own thing. So Mm -hmm. the death on the cross, of course, is not reasonable to 
that, but then we're getting not logic, we're getting premises involved. We're getting uh, a whole bag of history and feelings that are influencing what we consider logical. But I'd like to put a plug in for the post I just wrote um, <laughs> on patterns of truth called uh, <laughs> Does the Incarnation Make Sense? Okay. And I've got two of those, and I've answered it from two different perspectives. But the death on the cross is one of the best examples of what is fundamentally logical and necessary when you understand the nature of God. And, and if I may put this in a human way, forgive me, what God wanted to accomplish, what was God's purpose ultimately? Mm-hmm. And when you see, when you look at the whole situation that way, then even Christ's death on the cross becomes a paragon of logical necessity, you might say. Do you mean that in the way of like the only way for us to have a new relationship with the Lord is his sacrifice? It's the only way. And so it must have needed to happen. And yet at the same time, he died for us when we didn't love him, right? It's this like (laughs) dichotomy. This like, right. It's just like, we can't get past it, right? As Christians, but he has his reasons. (laughs) There's a really interesting verse in this context. And Roy alluded to it when Paul is talking to the Corinthians in first Corinthians chapter one, verse 20 and 21, it says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Hmm. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So hmm. there, is a, there is that paradox again, that there is something so perfectly consistent that God has done, but we cannot appreciate why he did it without mm-hmm. believing his revelation, without believing the revealed truth that we cannot reason our own way to that God mm-hmm. loves us, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That mm-hmm. is a revealed truth. That's not something we can de- deduct by science. Yeah. And that's always what's so difficult. I think about one of my favorite books in the Bible, right? The book of Ecclesiastes talks about, right? Like what I said in my heart, what I observed about humans or the person who wrote Ecclesiastes, right? Like looking at the way people behave, looking at the way society works, right? And at the end of the day, you do have to still come to the Lord knows it all, right? I can make my observations through my five senses. We can use instruments to make deductions, to make conclusions, to make predictions even, but there's still things that are unknown. And I just love reading like articles every so once in a while about discoveries whenever people say, and we still don't know as much as we should, or we still (laughs) don't know what's next, right? And that always, I don't know why, but those sentences give me a sliver of, maybe there's hope for those people if they don't believe in the Lord, that the fact that we can't know everything with what we are able to test from, you know, all the great technology we have or our five senses, that there is still something where his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, like that we will not be able to measure, which I think is really awesome. So I kind of hope maybe that will be a way in for those people to think about the Lord. I think of first Corinthians 13, you know, and it says, now we see in part, and that's something for me that really helped me when I was like, 
you know, trying to make sense of some things, you know, in the Bible. And it's like, but I don't understand how, you know, like even his love for me, like, I don't think here we will ever fully understand that. But when we get to heaven, when we get there, we will, there are so many things that will just make sense. Hmm. Yeah. And and that really helps with clarity for me in, hmm. you know, some of those things that logically, you know, my mind cannot wrap mm-hmm. itself around Holy or gosh, I can't yeah. explain it's like I teach fourth grade and my students who are reading through the Narnia series. And in, as the Pevensey children get older, only Lucy, the youngest one, is able to still see Aslan like right away. And, mm. you know, you start to see that things in there as they grow up, there are things that distract them that take away from the focus of, of him. And I think that's the same for us. There are so many different things that we come into contact with that can kind of like muddy the waters and make Mm. the clarity more difficult. Well, that's a really good point. It makes me think then going back to the Bible, even though people say like, Oh, the Christian faith is not logical. Do we have books in the Bible, Lars or Roy that are laid out in a logical fashion that we can point to right now and say, no, it's here. I can prove it to you. The entire book of Romans is essentially a legal, logical, rational argument, right? That's from beginning to end. The entire book of Romans is that. Okay. That's a long one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's good. Any shorter passages, longer passages, we can just point to immediately where logic is on display. Well, I think uh, we've been talking about logic and reason. I think they're very closely related, if not the same. And one of the verses that I go back to is Isaiah 118 where God mm-hmm. says, come, let us reason together. Now, that's a very striking phrase, I think. It certainly is to me. Mm-hmm. Because elsewhere, I think it's Amos or one of the other minor prophets says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Same word, together. So if God reasons with us, you have to ask the, you're ask the question, is human reason really make sense? Or is this Mm. God's reason? Because you can't reason together unless you're reasoning in the same way, we might say. I'm not sure I can. You have to be on the same page. Yes, you really have to be the same. (laughs) And I think this connects right with what we have when we're told God created us. He Mm. created us body, soul, and spirit. And the reasoning faculty then is a spiritual faculty. So Mm -hmm. that God created us in his own image so that he could have fellowship with us. Mm -hmm. And a big part of fellowship is communion or communication, we might say. Mm -hmm. So our reasoning, when we reason, we reason with God's reason, not human reason. Now, we need to caveat there because what we normally mean, I think, when we talk about human reason, we'll say, person will disagree with what we're saying and they'll say oh you're just using human reasoning well what is the person really talking about there what is human reasoning and i would propose that it's not the reasoning that's the problem it's the premise it's the environment around the reasoning that you're disagreeing with all right so we want to think about having those conversations right if people are not necessarily arguing like from with the same premise. So then can we ask, I mean, there's the question that everybody asks, right? Did humans invent logic and reasoning after people moved on, so to speak, from having faith? Because I feel like that's the narrative in our 
culture right now that once you graduate, so to speak, from believing in a supernatural being, you you use logic, right? This is stuff I heard when I encountered readings about the so-called enlightenment and things like that, that no, like the Christian faith doesn't prioritize reasoning. And that's actually where you graduate to when you moved on. What do we say about that? I, I think you said it right real well at the very last reasoning, like you started out, and I don't remember exactly how you put it, is really putting the whole thing on its head. Hmm. We come to faith because of our reasoning. Okay. Now, that may sound draconian <laughs> or uh, abstract, mm-hmm. but think about it. When you come to faith, you're recognizing certain truisms about yourself and about God. So logic and reasoning is right at the foundation. In fact, Isaiah 118 tells us that. Come, let mm-hmm. us reason together. What's the rest of the verse? Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. There's the, re- there's the gospel right there. There's mm-hmm. a recognition of what we are and what we need and what the solution is. Mm-hmm. So that's eminently logical and reasonable. So faith comes mm-hmm. out of reason. I think it's important to understand that God has, getting back to your original question, God created reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it's one of those transcendental truths, you might say. Mm-hmm. Two plus two equals four. How, how do we get that? Uh, mm-hmm. Something is not uh, the opposite of itself. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the law of non-contradiction. All these logical premises, logical laws, which we've figured out, mm-hmm. really derive, I think, from Scripture. Uh, I would propose a study for some young person who really <laughs> wants to get uh, into this is to go in, into scripture and find all the precursors of the logical laws that we commonly attribute to, say, Socrates. I bet you mm. they're there. Good points, good points. Okay, so then if God, I guess you would say, invents, right, or creates logic and it's not a human invention, right, then that would mean he wants us to avoid false arguments otherwise known as logical fallacies. And our listeners have probably heard some of these terms, even if like you didn't study it in school, these terms just appear, red herring, slippery slope, straw man argument, circular argument. Um, How do we know from the Bible that the Lord would want us to avoid weak or false arguments when talking about him, his nature, the Bible, about ourselves as Christians, about the world? Are there verses to show us that he wants us to avoid thinking in an illogical manner? I know, big question, right? It's like, where do you go from here? <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I don't, re- I don't remember the re- reference, but uh, there's a verse in Peter mm-hmm. about giving a sound argument. Where is that? Come on, Lars, help me out. <laughs> <laughs> we all have our phones. We can search too, though. <laughs> I'm searching. <laughs> um, Say. You all know the verse I'm thinking of. Yes. I have it. Oh, uh, first Peter 315. Second Peter. That's what I was thinking too. I'm yep, so yep. glad this could be edited out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, wrong book. Okay. <laughs> be ready. Now watch Michael just not edit this out, just to make us all look Oh bad. no. <laughs> <laughs> I, like no no lie though I was like okay let me turn to Second Peter and whichever one I underlined or highlighted is probably the verse. There you go. And then, and then I was like oh wait it's not. So. 
this is the benefit of using the same Bible since, you know, I was a kid. So (laughs) all the key ones, right? Roy, is that the one you wanted? Yes, that was it. Okay. So be ready always to make a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is within you. Doing this in meekness and I have reverential awe. So, mm-hmm. and that's the key is our heart attitude as we're bringing mm-hmm. the defense right. or the argument, making our mm-hmm. point is our heart attitude because that I think we could say the most beautiful, eloquent words, yeah. but if we have an ugly heart, mm-hmm. that supersedes and can really take so much away. Yeah. From mm-hmm. what we're saying. Oh, that makes sense. And it's funny because that's how we started the episode saying, oh, we talked about the way we do it. And but it's actually like God cares about it all, like how we our deportment and also what we say. Sorry, Lars, I think I cut you. No, absolutely. I I think you said what I was going to say. The verse actually begins with saying, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. We're Mm -hmm. expected to face persecution. That's the context in these verses. Mm -hmm. We're expected to face Uh, attacks on our faith. And Mm -hmm. as part of honoring the Lord, we should be so clear in our own minds of why we have this hope that Mm -hmm. we're always ready to make a defense. So a part of worshiping the Lord is to Mm -hmm. love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And so we really are expected as believers to love the Mm -hmm. Lord with the mind that he's given us. That's a really good point. I'd like to make just one real quick comment. You know, we've talked about uh, discussing logically with others. If you notice in scripture the negative sides of these things, it's the ones that are arguing against the truth of God that have the bad arguments. And I think that's really important. What Lars mm-hmm. said earlier about consistency of the argument. And mm-hmm. this is what I've what I've noticed in all the atheist sites on YouTube, you know, almost always they have some sort of reason in their title mm-hmm. you know, and and yet they're quite unreasonable and that's that's given to us in scripture thomas said the fool has said in his heart there is no god well the heart is the seat of the affection the desires the wants in scripture and so the problem is that people don't want god and so mm. they will make up arguments and obviously if you think about it an argument of God against God necessarily is flawed because mm. God is faithful and true. So what we started at the very beginning, truth has as one of its components reasonableness. So then can we go the other way just to, I don't want to use the phrase devil's advocate because we're Christians, but can we go, can we ask the question the opposite way where like, if some people claim we want to believe in God. There's something in some people who want to believe in a supernatural power. So we find evidence for it, right? Like that confirmation bias argument. Where do we go with that? No small question, mind you. (laughs) Well, that's really difficult because it gets to the heart condition. Hmm. And if a person truly wants to find God, as the illustration I gave of the microbiologist that I knew, Mm -hmm. um, they will find God. If they're willing Mm. to be honest with themselves Mm -hmm. and with what they're seeing around them. And Romans 1 tells us, our Lars quoted that to us. And it's very, very important passage to understand. Mm -hmm. So God has given us 
abundant evidence. So when people say, well, if only God would speak to me, if only God would come and show himself, if only blah, blah, blah. No, that's not the problem. Hmm. And if we go back to the Lord's own words, it's uh, when he was talking about Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man wanted the Lord uh, Abraham to send uh, someone from the dead to witness mm -hmm. to his family. The answer that was given is very, very important. Though one raised from the dead, they will not believe if they have not believed Moses and the prophets. Yeah. The prophets are there. The truth is there. So the, the issue is whether the heart is willing to receive what's mm. logically true. Yeah. I think we deal with that question every day, right? I think people ask that like, oh, we showed them the facts. Why don't they believe, right? There's they just don't something want about to. us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lars mentioned the transcendental argument a little while ago, and I want to just mention that there are several arguments that are given from mm -hmm. philosophy uh, for the existence of God. Before okay. we ran into this new modern 20th century anti-God <laughs> movement, really, it's really fairly recent. Some of the old theologians going back to the church fathers, um, Anselm and others, they gave logical arguments and philosophers today may pick them apart but they're actually quite good and one of my favorites is um is the cosmological argument hmm. and that's a very simple deductive argument and it should convince anybody but of course people will find ways around it so the hmm. problem is not that there's not evidence i think gary habermas is his life work was to provide evidence for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He mm -hmm. gives a really fascinating talk, and he's written a hundred, a thousand plus page book documenting the evidence mm. for the uh, resurrection. So it's there if you want to dig it out. So then what do good arguments look like? Like, I, I don't know if you want to get so technical, like what is like the language structure per se, um, <laughs> but what do good arguments look like? So people know what to look for without having to watch a 10-part YouTube series on it? <laughs> or if they want to, I mean, go for it. Knock yourself out, right? But <laughs> simple in simplistic terms, I guess we could say. Well, in simplistic terms, I think we can identify some things that are important. Lars mentioned consistency, and that's probably one of the easiest ones to recognize. You need to realize that you you have if you have if you're talking with somebody, you all you need to have the same definitions for the terms you're using. Mm -hmm. This is one of the big, mm -hmm. big problems. Yeah. You get talking about evolution and somebody will say, well, we proved evolution. It's obviously true. So why can't you believe that uh, you descended from monkeys? Well, right there, you're equivocating. The official mm -hmm. term is equivocation on the term evolution. So, you know, that's one problem. And um, there's circularity of the arguments, assuming what you want before as part of the argument there is correlation is not cause two things happen together i can give you examples but i think we've spent yeah. enough time on that ad hominem arguments there's another one that's really fun you discredit a person saying by talk, calling attention to something you don't like about him yes oh, every Harry. political debate ah uh, yeah right exactly <laughs> I don't like his tie or whatever, right? Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> I just love the fact that the Lord always, when he was here, he always referred to the scriptures. Mm, it is written. Mm -hmm. 
course, people can interpret it how they want and take mm. things out of context. But I think that we have to stick to, you know, what we know mm-hmm. is true. And I think of so many people that set out to prove he didn't exist and ended up becoming believers because they realized mm-hmm. that he did based off of their findings. Yeah. You know, there's a fascinating passage in, and I'm not sure which other gospel that's in, uh, but there's a fascinating passage in Matthew 22, where the Sadducees <laughs> questioned Jesus about the resurrection. You know, the Sadducees mm-hmm. were a group that had the same scriptures as, well, mm-hmm. Actually, they, they rejected a, a large portion of the Old Testament, but they had the same, you know, five books of the law uh, of, of the Torah as the Pharisees did. But the Sadducees rejected things like the resurrection. And mm. Jesus answered them and says, you are wrong in Matthew twenty two twenty nine. You are wrong because, you know, neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And then he says, as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? And he quotes from the Torah, which they recognize as scripture. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. says, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So what mm-hmm. Jesus is doing is taking the tense of the verb, I am the God of Abraham, and saying, because that's present tense, logically, God sees Abraham as still alive. Mm-hmm. therefore there is a resurrection therefore there is a spirit there is life after death mm-hmm. so jesus is using an extremely logical very precise argument from scripture to disprove somebody else's interpretation of scripture mm-hmm. so right there i think is a beautiful example mm-hmm. of how people can say your interpretation is just as valid as mine and right. have jesus's own example to say actually no if your interpretation is not logically consistent with scripture then your interpretation is wrong yeah and you know it's a, just a marvel to me how these questions are not new Right. And I just remember being, I don't know, maybe I was like a junior in high school. And one of my social studies teachers was just talking about truth is malleable. What is truth? And I remember like doing a Bible study and then coming across like Pontius Pilate's words, what is truth? And I said to myself, oh my goodness, right. (laughs) We're still dealing with this question, but it made me feel like in a weird way, it made me feel secure because sometimes Right, like the way we started the podcast, people who are not Christians or our culture will make you think that they are asking new questions that have never been answered before. And when I could find that question, what is truth? Or we find what the Sadducees are, you know, saying that they don't believe and the Lord is speaking to that. We say, wow, like God has already spoken on these, on this issue. There is an argument. There is something that he's laid out for like to explain all of this and we're just hard-headed as you know my mom likes to say we're hard-headed right and we there's a resistance right to to this truth that the lord has given us and um i don't know it just kind of it does make me marvel um from time to time on that okay so if i could go back to the the question then right what um what does a good argument look like from just my knowledge like as an english teacher we start with a claim a claim about something being true or factual. And then we want to find evidence that matches up with that claim, but more importantly is the reasoning, right? The method by which we think through in a logical fashion, how the evidence supports the claim. And it is very, 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 very difficult to do. um, As Roy said, if we don't have 
correct definitions. We're not understanding the same definitions of words that we're using. Our evidence is compromised. All of those things really put the the argument, you know, in danger, I guess you would say. And the Lord definitely cares about the way we go about proving anything in his word. So we've got a lot to think about, but I feel like the most logical question is why is this topic important to talk about? Because I think that we live in a society where a lot of people have already made up their minds. We have a lot of people, even younger people, who've just come up with the idea that like, well, truth is whatever I decide it is today. Mm-hmm. And it's not really something they've argued with in their mind. It's just something they've grown up hearing and that's what they believe. And that's what our society reflects. So why is this topic important to talk about when people have seemingly already made up their minds? Uh, there's always somebody who hasn't. And that's important. I used to question the propriety of certain people giving having debates with atheists. And I know of several believers mm-hmm. who do that. And I realized that they weren't really trying to convince the person they were debating. They were there to present arguments that they were hoping people in the audience would think about. It's not just the person you're talking to, but it's the person on the table sitting adjacent to you that Mm. eavesdropping Mm. or the other people in the classroom that have to be sitting happen to be sitting around so it's good to have facts first of all you need to be aware of what's true and have some evidence and that's that's a whole nother discussion Uh, you know we ought to talk about fake facts you know that's that's (laughs) gone around there's no such thing as a fake fact it's either true or false but We have to accumulate evidence, and one of the real problems we have is misunderstanding what constitutes good evidence. Anecdotes are not evidence. Mm -hmm. This is really important. Anecdotes are not good evidence at all. Uh, It's a one-shot deal. Anecdotes are illustrations of something you already know is true, but they Mm -hmm. can't be used as evidence. So you got to be sure that what you're proposing as a fact is does indeed have some evidence. And then you have to have good logic. And I've seen arguments where the conclusion was true, the logic was faulty. So -hmm. what's wrong with that? Well, the problem is that if you're talking to somebody and they recognize that your logic is bogus, they'll just shoot you down or they'll walk away. Well, he's a dummy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. So you you lose the effectiveness of what you're trying trying to say. And the the bottom, bottom line is that no matter how good your argument is, you want to have a good argument, but it's the heart condition that really matters. Hmm. And so that's uh, been brought up by Chris a couple of times, and it's really, really important. You don't convince people. With, I don't know that you can say that a person was convinced to become a Christian by a logical argument. Mm-hmm. But what you do do is open them to think about it. So that they will then investigate. And I go back to my illustration of my friend who's a microbiologist and another one that I know is an astronomer. And he came to the Lord the same way. Mm-hmm. He w- he saw from the scientific evidence that there had to be a creator. And he so and then he went to look. But the evidence was simply the springboard. And he was willing to jump on that springboard. So Mm. a person, if you really want to be effective in evangelism, you know, using logical, scientific or whatever arguments, you need to realize that the effect of what you say 
may not be seen for years. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's a result of that person being pricked in their, maybe their conscience, but maybe in their mind. Mm-hmm. Curiosity, you know, is a powerful mm-hmm. motivator. Mm-hmm. So you might just be curious. And if mm-hmm. you present a good, well-reasoned argument, it's not going to be easily blown off by a sensible person. They're going to they're going to continue to think about it. And the Spirit of God is going to work in them to keep that coming back to them mm-hmm. until perhaps someday they'll meet somebody who gives them a track, challenges them to read the Bible, or something mm-hmm. that will eventually lead them to Christ. So this is just, just another stone mm-hmm. in the building, you might say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He promises that his word will not return void. Like right, what right. I mean, we, we present it and it's a seed planted. Hmm. Right. Lars, where do you think, where do we go from here? When we have conversations with people, you know, cause it's never posed as Christians are illogical. It's always embedded in another, you know, comment to us about life, what's going on in the world and maybe who we are as believers. How do we even start this conversation about, being logical and how that is part of our faith um, without being offensive. Yeah, I think it's helpful to actually find some common ground. If you look Mm -hmm. again at Paul's example, when he was talking to the philosophers in Athens, you know, and they obviously were in the end mocking and ridiculing what he had to say. But where did he start? He started with things that he knew that they believed to be true, that he Mm -hmm. could agree with. And then he introduces God's revelation and shows how consistently between the combination of what they all agree is true and what God has revealed, what the conclusion is, that we need to repent and that there is a resurrection and that God has chosen to make a way for us to be reconciled to him. Hmm. Many of them chose not to accept it because of that heart issue. But where Paul started was, what's our common ground? What can I take that's right in front of me? Literally standing in front of him was this idol to this unknown God and say, based on what you and I agree on, Let's have a conversation. Yeah, that's really good advice because I think so often, maybe as a Christian, we hear or read read about, oh, how to win an argument as a Christian. And we may hear someone say something <laughs> like, oh, my goodness, right? Like, you know, why does God allow the pandemic? And we just want to, like, jump on that person, right, and talk about logical arguments. And that probably isn't the best approach, right, because that person is probably just making a comment in frustration. And we do have to make that bridge and say, you know what, I've wondered about that too, or this is a really difficult time for all of us. And Christians are not exempt from that difficult time in the pandemic. But this is what I know about my Lord, right? And, you know, kind of ease into it a little bit (laughs) as, as as a way to make that bridge. And just as Roy and Krista said, like, it is a seed, like, we don't have to feel like we have to have such an, an argument almost like that. It's all on us, right? It really is the Lord that does the work. So thank you so much, Roy, Krista, Lars, for every single part of this discussion. I know I'm thinking, um, I definitely have to do some reading too for myself. So to our audience out there, I know that we are all in search of more answers, we're all in a really strange time in the world as well, and we're looking for clarity. And of course, for the Christian, the first place we should turn is to God's word. Mm -hmm. He does have the answer. He has a reason, and we do have to spend time with him, um, and he will reveal things to us. Um, There will not be a day that goes by when the enemy isn't attacking us, and so we have to be prepared. To all of our listeners out there, we hope this discussion made you think, gave you some answers, and maybe piqued your interest. 
Don't forget about Roy's plug. He just wrote two <laughs> blog posts, or was it a, the Q and A? The Q and A. Okay, two. Sorry, two responses to a Q and A about sense and sensibility, and so we appreciate your time with us. So our goal is to start conversations, stimulate curiosity, and engage our critical thinking. And the point is to grow closer to the Lord. All right, everybody. Until next time, have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Patterns of Truth podcast. We invite you to join us for our next episode. And we also encourage you to check out patternsoftruth.org, where we post articles every week for the encouragement and growth of Christ followers. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to submit them on our website. I'm Peter. Until next time.